0: to Plato's Cave. Uh, With me today, I have Cameron Bolt. Uh, Cameron is an associate professor and chair of philosophy at Brandon University in Canada, and his uh, key areas of interest uh, are in ethics and epistemology, and of course, uh, their overlap is uh, something that we're going to be talking about today in Epistemic Blame. So Cameron, thanks so much for uh, talking with me.
1: Thank you very much for, uh, for inviting
0: me. So um, I actually, I was reviewing kind of your uh, larger work before this, and I, I saw that, so is it right that you have a, a book under contract right now um, called The Puzzle of Epistemic Blame?
1: That's correct, yeah. So I... Uh, yeah, I, do you know the release date? So I'm supposed to have everything into to, uh, to OUP by June, um, okay. and sort of, it, I'm on kind of the third draft of it, and I'm just sort of getting... Another round of of sort of some comments from people, uh, and once once I kind of digest the last few things I want to kind of fix and, and look at in the book, I think I'm hoping to maybe push it out a little bit earlier than that.
0: Okay, nice. That's the first time I've ever uh, heard of someone being ahead of schedule for a uh, academic well, book hoping. publication. That's yeah, that's true. The yeah, op- <laughs> operative word there is hoping uh so yeah i think i i think i mentioned this to you in the invitation email but uh i we were um so i'm uh, in the masters program at houston and uh in one of our seminars we came across um or rather it was assigned to us uh, one of your papers uh paired with one of jessica Brown papers uh jessica brown's papers on epistemic blame and the concept really kind of you know gripped me and um and I've continued to kind of like think about it since and it's it's really a super interesting topic that is more or less a, a direct parallel to the moral blame debate um which was a debate that I was also interested in before reading about this um so I guess maybe in in talking about epistemic blame I guess maybe we should get the concept on the table at first um so when we talk about epistemic blame, in your view, what are we talking about?
1: Yeah, I guess the way that I like to to frame sort of the concept is it's a kind of blame that's directed uh, towards someone um, for an epistemic failing okay. from the epistemic point of view. So sort of that those two components, I think, are important to to emphasize um, because I think we can sometimes uh, blame people, you know, for epistemic failings in a way that's not really deserving of like distinctive treatment. Like I think sometimes, you know, we form biased beliefs or, um, oh yeah, I'll just stick with that example. And, and, you know, that kind of just seems like blameworthy in a garden variety, like morally blameworthy kind of way. Like if you've got you know, deep prejudices or something, you know, that are also epistemically flawed. Um, so it's, it's, it's when the kind of blame that we're directing at someone for an epistemic failing, um, when it's like done from the epistemic point of view, right? sort of specifically qua epistemic failing, uh, then it sort of seems like there's something distinctively interesting or at least worthy of, of further examination that you know, we may or may not be able to, to kind of get a handle on theoretically just with existing resources in the moral blame literature
0: yeah yeah um, and I guess also parallel paralleling the moral blame literature, there's i guess a lot of uh and you know this is something we'll talk about, but there's a big discussion about sort of different conceptions of what we mean by blame, um you know what it means to blame people um but if I understand correctly from you know your writings and and um the other things that I've read it, it does seem like ubiquitous to all accounts of blame in the epistemic literature, but also in the moral literature is, it it is always, you know, blame is a negative um, uh, evaluation or affect towards others. It's, it's, you know, it's always going to be in the negative direction. And it's always going to be in response to, I guess, in the moral domain, it's often in response to something someone did. Um, But in the epistemic domain, it's going to be responding to, like you said, epistemic concerns around either, you know, propositional beliefs or belief formation, or it's going to have to do with sort of, um, you know, for lack of a better word, like epistemic domain material, in some sense, is that right?
1: Yeah, and no, so that's a, a really good point. I mean, it's kind of a central uh topic in in um kind of moral philosophy that discusses blame is like what's the nature of blame exactly? And uh you know, is the is there one or is there something kind of like centrally or you know, central to the concept of blame that we can say kind of unifies all the things that we pre-theoretically think of as blame? Um <clears throat> But I think, yeah, you're right. Like one thing everyone agrees on is it's like a kind of negatively valenced response. Um, beyond that, I'm not entirely sure if there's a huge amount of agreement, actually, whether it requires an affective component, um, you know, whether they you know, whether it needs to be outwardly expressed. There's so many different kinds of um, sort of dimensions to our blaming practices that make it a super hard uh, issue. But I guess, you know, one thing that I kind of like to focus on as a sort of, I think of it as a theoretically neutral starting point, um, is that like whatever blame is, um, and this I think holds true of of both moral and epistemic blame, um, it's a kind of response that goes beyond just negatively evaluating. Like there's something... um, when we blame people, in addition to kind of noticing or or thinking, oh, this person has done something wrong. Um, we're also kind of engaged by that judgment or like exercised by, it, um, in a way that goes beyond just the noticing. And that's where I think uh, a lot of the things that people find interesting about blame kind of actually get a foothold. Like, that's why you can start doing an ethics of blame because it just seems like being engaged in that characteristic way, kind of, um you know means that certain things should be true of you for example uh like um some people think there's something kind of weird or flawed about blaming someone for a wrongdoing that you yourself just committed um or that you yourself are complicit in um Mm. so it's like yeah that that kind of being engaged component of blame seems to go hand in hand with with a lot of uh, features of our blaming practices that, that philosophers in the moral case, at least find interesting. And kind of one of my uh, like projects is really kind of showing like, well, if we think there's such a thing as epistemic blame, then there's a whole bunch of these sorts of questions that, that it would stand to reason need to be investigated uh, in the epistemic domain as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. No, I, I definitely buy um, that if, you know, even still remaining agnostic as to what we're going to sort of pin down as blame. It does, it does have to involve more than just mere negative evaluation. Um, and it, it, you know, I, you can sort of experientially think about that, you know, I've, there have been many, many times where, you know, you can identify either, uh, you know, an action in the moral domain or maybe, you know, a belief or something in the epistemic domain as being, you know, flawed in some way, but just, really at like sort of a base intuitive level. It's hard to say that I blame someone for that, unless there's this, and we, you know, that's account agnostic, but there's this extra layer of something going on when when you're blaming on top of that. Um, I, I know this was something that, uh, this is actually something that I've kind of been pushed in the direction towards over the past couple months of of this semester. But I, I guess I... I've been pushed towards the direction of general skepticism about not not conceptual analysis as a whole, but maybe something like blame. You know, I'm wondering if if there is anything close to an actual answer to this question of like what what constitutes blame specifically, Um, you know, is there is there this thing out there called blame that we could either be right or wrong about and. I don't know. I mean, I, I I really have a mixed feeling about it because on the one hand, if you tell me that, yeah, you know, I, I I'm thinking about blame, um, and by blame I mean uh the response of being grateful towards someone, showing gratitude for them, then I'm like, we're not even talking about the same thing at all. And so there's a way in which I want to be like, that's that's definitely not blame. Um, but on the other hand you know there's there's these competing accounts that all seem plausible in their own way about blame and i guess i i have this general skepticism about you know maybe instead of talking about what really is epistemic blame maybe we should just talk about what um specific sort of thing that you know we're wondering about you know is it reasonable to modify our epistemic relationships on this basis or is it reasonable to get angry at someone for believing this or etc so i don't know what you think about that general worry um, but i'd be curious to hear your thoughts
1: yeah i'm i am sympathetic to that worry myself i blame kind of does just seem like one of these concepts that's sort of squishy enough that you're going to run into some problems quite quickly. Like, well, first of all, coming up with a conceptual analysis, but also getting, you know, having a, a debate that lasts for any period of time that actually is productive, right? Because it's you can kind of just lean on different dimensions of it to kind of make your account look good, and then it ends up sort of people you aren't really saying anything that that seems that important anymore uh, or worth engaging with. Although, I mean, I think there's some super interesting work uh, on sort of this question like what is blame and I think we've we definitely got some interesting things out of of out of thinking about that like you know in a sort of with the aspiration of like finding like something like an account of what blame is um but I think equally so like a lot of authors have begun just starting from that skeptical point of view and thinking more in terms of like well what's like what's the function of like a a paradigmatic way that we blame each other you know which is already just kind of a very different sort of starting point. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good idea. Um, in, in terms of sort of where I or what I see, like my own work on epistemic blame uh, as doing is sort of exactly not really worrying too much about whether my account like yeah. captures the essence of epistemic blame, but rather just that it does some important jobs that we want to do um, but then kind of like moves forward and in, in, in thinks about kind of like, okay, so here's what I'm saying epistemic blame is like, and I, I can say, you know, more about this, I think of it in terms of a distinctive kind of relationship modification. Uh, but then kind of like what, what, where can we go thinking about this idea of epistemic relationship modification and what, what other sorts of jobs can it do for us, uh, both in normative epistemology and also in kind of this topic that i've just been interested in ever since i've basically been doing philosophy which is just kind of like what's the relationship between uh the epistemic domain and other normative domains Um, so kind of like putting the account to work like in other ways
0: yeah no, no I, i i really appreciated that uh i guess tone to to your recent papers that i read because it's really you know you're not um spending a ton of time really battling it out over like you know who's you know one definition to rule them all you know it's just it's just okay we're talking about this general concept of epistemic blame here and and i'm when i'm talking about epistemic blame i'm referring to it as this kind of relationship modification account and then let's just move on to sort of you know talk about what that looks like and and you're not going to be bullish on sort of yeah doing that that battle um and yeah i think i think i'm just kind of like thinking about how i want to you know i told you i'm writing my term paper on this and i don't know there's this way in which you know, I, I want to write uh, this, like this p- point, talking about epistemic blame in general, because I think, you know, the point I'm making could be amenable to all these different accounts. But at the same time, you know, I'm. It, it also seems like uh, certain answers, you know, like what, what's the appropriate target of blame, for instance, um, that could actually look a lot different if you're thinking about blame in terms of, you know, on what basis can I modify an epistemic relationship? That could have a very different answer than you know, in response to what can I become epistemically like angry at someone for? Um, so I, I don't know. It's just still like, you know, I, I need to kind of think these questions through and and figure out like what, you know, manner in which I want to like write about these things, because um, it, it seems like a fine balance that has to be walked. Um,
1: yeah, for sure. I mean, in a sense, that's sort of exactly how I got to thinking about epistemic blame in what's essentially Scanlonian terms, uh, like the whole relationship thing, like that, he's very famous for, for you know, spending a chapter of uh, of moral dimensions, like basically, almost like as if it's an afterthought or something, coming up with this account of what blame is, uh, mm. which I don't, and I think he's explicitly said he doesn't think of it as a definition or an, an, an analysis in any way. I think in a later mm. piece um, he calls it an interpretation. Uh, but you know, it's it's kind of become like considered like one of the uh, you know one of the options uh, for thinking mm-hmm. about what blame is sort of. Um, and the the reason why I was drawn to it uh, was exactly because it kind of does seem to me a little bit weird to talk about actually getting uh, indignant or like resentful towards a person, like specifically for their epistemic failing. Like, if we really want to isolate what we're targeting in a way that I, how, you know, in line with how I defined what epistemic blame is, um, then it becomes less clear to me whether, like, our actual epistemic practices typically involve people or should involve people, like, going around, uh, you know, resenting one another, um, like, for their epistemic failings from the epistemic it gets really complicated because obviously, like as we were talking about with with you know prejudice and biases, like it's easy to imagine resenting someone for being prejudiced, you know, towards you, for example. Um, but there it's like, you know, if you talk to any like number of philosophers about this for more than five minutes, it just immediately becomes this conversation. Well, it's like, well, but are we blaming them for the epistemic failing there? Or like are we resenting the epistemic failing, or is it really the moral part? Um so, yeah, I kind of just, one thing I like about Scanlon's view is because it doesn't give this central role to uh, things like negative emotions. Um, mm-hmm. I think it can be put to work in this really interesting way in the epistemic domain that kind of, uh, I think, like can make a lot of different people happy who uh, mm-hmm. have different ways of, of reacting to cases, for example.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah uh, we should definitely move on to the Scanlonian account in a second. Um, but I guess in response to something you said there, you know, um, yeah. So, so I, uh, uh, in addition to the papers we read, I also read this slightly earlier paper by Jessica Brown from 2019. Um, and yeah, that, you know, I, I've encountered some skepticism just from other people in the class, um, from different professors that I've spoken to about sort of like the genuine distinctiveness of epistemic blame. And, you know, if it, uh, collapses or is this kind of, you know, if we're abstracting from some sort of moral concerns or something like that. Um, but yeah, it, I am convinced, um, by both your work and hers that, you know, maybe it doesn't happen in the real world that we, you know, solely epistemically blame people very often, but it seems pretty clear to me that oftentimes there is an epi, there's a distinctive epistemic dimension to blame. So, you know, when you, you, Use the case of someone having sort of like a, you know, prejudiced belief about, about you know, maybe like uh, one specific person in virtue of them being from a certain group. Right. Um, and it seems like, you know, when we blame someone for doing that, um, no matter the account, there's there's sort of, you know, there's a dimension of that that seems moral because it's, it's, you know, obviously a wrong thing to do, but there also seems to be this like distinctive um, aspect of blame that is epistemic in nature that is targeting the fact that th- this is so obviously something that you should have known better about, or, you know, ha- like, you know, you- you're you really allowing these just like very obvious um, biases to influence the way that you actually think about people. And so, yeah, it seems like even if you, um, even if someone raises this criticism that we never purely epistemically blame, I don't think that that undermines the genuine distinctiveness of an epistemic dimension of blame. Um, I don't know if that is like a, an argument that has already been used in defense of epistemic blame, but it seems like um you know if 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 you bite that initial bullet, you still can retreat to the the place of saying, well, there's a distinctive dimension of blame that's often epistemic
1: yeah i I think that's a really nice way of putting it. Um, and I think that's a nice way of kind of just being uh, ecumenical in a sense on, on the whole issue um, because yeah, yeah. I think a, a lot of people will agree to that point where it's like, okay. Uh, even if there's no like time when this happens purely in isolation from moral considerations mm. or something like that, um, it does seem like there's lots of cases where like there's layers or like they're like you're putting it dimensions um, mm. to what's, what's happening in our blaming practice
0: yeah so okay so on to the scanlan account because i i I love this account actually it really makes sense of the way that i um have sort of pre-theoretically thought about and and engaged in these sort of practices so uh we've mentioned that it is is um, kind of centered around this idea of relationship modification but maybe if you could just explain what you mean by sort of um you know epistemically modifying relationships
1: right Yeah, so um, I guess the basic idea is, so, uh, you know, Scanlon's original account um, uses this notion of a relationship uh, and relationship modification, and he kind of means relationship uh, in like a slightly technical sense. And I think in kind of borrowing and, and drawing on some of his ideas, like I went maybe even more technical with with just how i'm understanding the concept of a relationship but the way i like to think of it is it's just basically reciprocal sets of intentions and expectations that we have towards one another in light of uh you know certain practices that we may be engaged in so like um there can be different kinds of relationships like professional relationships friendships romantic Mm -hmm. partnerships scanlan himself uh is willing to 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 go as far as saying that we all stand in, like, a general moral relationship with each other, mm-hmm. where it's just, like, we have certain expectations, intentions, and attitudes towards one another just in virtue of, like, being the kinds of beings that are capable of um, justifying their reasons towards one another and mm-hmm. capable of having a concern for that. So it's not, like, a huge... Um, kind of stretch to sort of take that idea and say, well, okay, maybe there's like an epistemic relationship, a general one, uh, you know, a kind of relationship where, again, this is like, it's not like the perfectly ordinary sense of the term relationship um, Mm. that we have towards other members of the epistemic community just in virtue of being the kinds of beings that are capable of, like, epistemically justifying uh, their actions and attitudes and being capable of showing a concern for that. And from there, I um sort of just take that idea and suggest like, okay, well maybe our you know epistemic blaming practices can just be understood as a kind of a distinctive way of modifying uh that relationship um in response to judging that someone's done something to impair it. Uh, which mm-hmm. is you know, it really is just like a mirror of what Scanlon's doing. Uh you just kind of have to um, fiddle around with like some of the details to sort of make it seem plausible on the epistemic case.
0: Yeah, it it was sort of a, it was an interesting experience, you know, talking about this in the seminar because, uh, you know, uh, some of, some people voiced uh, like very skeptical kind of considerations of, you know, do do I have, you know, epistemic relationships? Do I modify those? And, but for, for whatever reason, your account instantly clicked with me because it, it just seems obvious to me that I do, um, you know, have at least like epistemic dimensions to different relationships. So like, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, I have, you know, sort of a wide swath of friends and there are, you know, and you, so you talk about, you know, this is a, uh, an aspect of um, your account that I think you've borrowed from Scanlon as well, if I understand it correctly, which is that. Um you know we we blame in response to people falling short of the normative ideal not only in general but of that specific relationship right um so um' you know, sort of thinking about you know there there are certain friends that I have where I place um you know you draw on this concept too like a huge amount of trust in their sort of epistemic abilities uh and I view them as you know just like a a like an epistemic collaborator on any question right you know i can discuss anything with them and i value their input but there are other people uh you know with whom i only sort of value their input on maybe like a certain range of questions or maybe sp- like you know in the negative sense not on a specific range of questions you know maybe you know, there are people in, in our lives who like we just can't talk about politics with or just talk, you know, talk about religion with or something like that. Um, and so it seems it seems right to me that, uh, you know, we look at the ideal of sort of specific relationships that we have. Um, and so, you know, for uh, for some people, I expect, you know, more from them, um, I, you know, sort of demand like a higher level of epistemic virtue. Um than i do for others and i guess you know i take it but i'm curious if if you see that as sort of like a um is i i would assume that you see that as a strong point of your view that it can be sort of mapped onto to different relationships in a way that is is like a more general or like platonic ideal wouldn't be able to map on specifically like that
1: yeah i it, it is kind of one of the things that i um sort of think is an is a nice constructive like feature of, of thinking in this way um mm-hmm. is and this kind of goes back to to what i was saying about focusing more on uh like going forward from an account rather than just kind of like showing that it captures the essence of, of something um and you know this is just obviously whatever's going on uh like when we um blame each other for our epistemic failings is really complicated. Like there can be so many different flavors to that and there can be so many different contexts where it seems, you know, you know, those different flavors can be more or less appropriate and, um, you know, where it's unclear, like kind of really what's at issue. And I think it's exactly this, this feature of our social lives that we are all kind of like, I, I guess I like to think of it in terms of like a nested set of relationships it's like you know you've got some friends that you're also in professional relationships with you've got uh you know partners who are also your friends and you've got you know the way i would put it is we you know in addition to being in an epistemic relationship with each other on just that general starting point sense yeah. um we may also uh you know someone may be your doctor uh, or your student um and so i think just using the super familiar and, like, very natural idea that, like, sometimes our relationships, the types of relationships we're in with people, like, overlap, um, that just to that extent is going to be the case or uh, the, the the extent to which um, our epistemic blame is kind of going to be impacted by or or intermingle with other types of blame. And so it'll just be, you know, on a perfectly general kind of like relationship based account, blame in any domain is just a modification of a certain kind to the intentions and expectations that are literally constitutive of mm. a given relationship. And so, you know, cause we're in nested relationships, those intentions and expectations that are constitutive of, of each type of relationship we're in can just interact with um, or kind of, be used to just structure kind of like what is going on in a given case you know just to take a really i think straightforward example it's like there's obviously something different about the way you're going to react to your doctor for like negligently not knowing the latest findings and whatever like disease they specialize in um in comparison with just like discovering that your mom doesn't know the latest findings about that disease uh, mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's kind of like a toy case, obviously, but the, the point is just, like, there's there's something about the doctor example, like, that's going to license, like, a much stronger sort of response, and mm-hmm. I don't want to shy away from this idea that, like, obviously there's something practical going on there, maybe moral or what, distinctively professional, but I don't think that's really an issue for the idea of epistemic blame, rather it's just Precisely to the extent that there are those other expectations beyond purely uh, epistemic ones, like maybe they're professional ones, Um, just as the extent to which whatever dimension to your blaming response that's purely epistemic is going to just be impacted um, by those professional expectations.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the case is actually a really good one, too, because it seems like you're... It seems like in that example, you'd be modifying your sort of it, other dimensions of your relationship with the doctor in light of your epistemic relationship with him and like his failings in that domain. So like, you know, presumably you would professionally modify your relationship because he wouldn't be your doctor anymore. Right. You would, you know, if if you were uh, friends outside of that context as well, maybe you could remain friends, but. You know, you wouldn't be able to really talk about medical issues with him anymore or something like that. Right. Um, but all of those modifications seem to be resulting from this like this core epistemic failing that he's had. Um, and it's not it's not a it, you know, it's a professional failing uh, and maybe a moral one, too. But it's a failing of those two in light of the fact that it's an epistemic failing. Um, at least that's 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 how I, I see it. Yeah. And I'm I think that. Yeah, I'm, I'm very convinced by that example.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it's just sort of the thought being that, like, you know, depending on um, what sorts of expectations are at play in a given relationship, like certain epistemic failings can take on greater or lesser significance is, you know, in kind of another way.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, um, okay, so a question about the account then. So, okay, so if I'm understanding it correctly, there are sort of... um, uh, three, uh, conditions maybe we could say of, of this like Scanlonian epistemic blame. So it seems like you have to be in an epistemic relationship with someone in the first place. Uh, and then when one party falls short of the normative ideal of that relationship, then the other party in response to that, uh, modifies the relationship in light of that failing. Um, so if i'm understanding that correctly it seems to imply that you know you can't epistemically blame people in this way that we've been talking about with someone that you're not in a relationship with um and i wonder if that so so a you know do you do you see that as a result of your view but b if you do see that as a result um is that a problem in your view
1: yeah i mean i i i suppose I do see that as a result of the, of the view. However, I think it's easy to kind of get hung up on like the word relationship and kind of yeah. forget that it's, it's a slightly technical use of the term. Um, yeah. And so I kind of like to lean on, on that point, first of all, and then second, just to kind of remind people um, of, you know, what I think of as the significance of blame. Right. So I think, you know, if you really aren't in any kind of relation with another person at all, whether epistemic or otherwise, uh, to me, it just does sound kind of weird to imagine blaming that person for anything. Um, I th- it doesn't sound weird to imagine judging that they're blameworthy, where, like, what we mean by that is, like, if someone else would be perfectly within their rights to blame them, but to actually be exercised um, in a way that's kind of, like, characteristic of, of blame, uh, even epistemic blame, the thing that sets epistemic blame apart from just negative epistemic evaluation um you know i i'm sympathetic to this idea that there's just something flawed or, or or strange about getting engaged in that way with with a person with with whom you stand in no epistemic relation to whatsoever and again and so then that's the, the sort of first thing i was saying like the type in in the technical sense of relationship as well right mm-hmm. so I think this is something that 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 it's very easy to kind of like walk out a little bit it's like wait we're all in an epistemic relate like, like just in virtue of being creatures we're capable of like justifying their beliefs or, or however you want to frame it exactly but i th- you know i think a helpful way of coming at it is just through like our testimonial practices it's just it's a pervasive feature of human social and political life that we rely on each other like for information in just utterly pervasive uh, ways. I mean, this is just a platitude. And I think, you know, as a reflection of that, you know, we tend to just epistemically trust the word of other people, mm. at least within specific domains or on specific questions, given the context, unless we've got some sort of defeating reason, right, mm. or some you know something seems amiss about the situation. And so that I think. Is itself a reflection of this idea that we have certain um, ex- expectations of one another as epistemic agents, that we are capable of providing actionable information within you know, a certain um, set of constraining factors. And so just in virtue of being, you know, recognizing that another person is that kind of being, you know, in a very minimally reciprocal sense, is enough for me to kind of get this idea of like this scan load. Scanlonian notion of relationship off the ground. Mm. Um, and that again, like you've been picking up on and which I think is right. Like that's just sort of a baseline. Right. And then of course there's all these other layers to our actual social lives that, that enter the mm. picture.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I buy that. Um, and it also, um, yeah. Okay. So, so that, okay. So that, that answers one main question I had about the view, but yeah, here, here's another one. So um i think again if i'm understanding you correctly uh it's so we we were talking about a little bit earlier like you could have a view of blame but like epistemic blame specifically that um you know perhaps so it's so we so we know that what we want it to be is more than negative evaluation um and one way in which it could be more than that is this relationship modification account um and if I'm understanding you correctly you you said i I don't remember in which of your papers this was i I think it was um the significance of epistemic blame where this point came up uh and the and the point was that so relationship modification doesn't have to exclude uh sort of like emotional reactions, but at the same time it doesn't um emotional reactions are not a necessary condition of the relationship modification view so I guess that makes me think about the question of um I don't know I'm I'm almost um because I'm very drawn to the relationship view but at the same time I'm wondering if actually um the emotive response the negative emotional response is actually a necessary condition of the view in that it, that is what is the motivating force behind the modification of the relationship so I guess I'm I'm questioning whether you could have um genuine modification of an epistemic relationship without an emotional aspect of it that is still more than negative evaluation
1: yeah yeah i think that's a great question and i think this is like a big um it's a big issue for some people when it comes to just understanding blame uh because there's people like rj wallace uh Mm. susan wolf uh, and others who they're, they're really impressed by this like seeming deep connection between like the reactive attitudes understood like fairly narrowly as like types of negative emotion, like resentment or negative emotional response, like resentment indignation. Like Wallace is, is maybe strongest on this. I think he, he really writes as though those type, like a susceptibility to those types of attitudes, like just is, um, like part of what it means to to really blame somebody, um, and I guess I just never found that con- like compelling. Um, to me, it just it seems that, and I, I kind of think like what's at issue here. So going back to something you pointed out, which I agree with, is that like we can modify our relations with one another while being angry about it, or or not, uh, in my view, um, and. I think kind of partial part of what's at stake here is just like what plays the kind of core role in explaining the significance and i just happen to be of the sort of stance that i think when we actually modify our intentions um towards another person like intentions that are actually constitutive of our relationship with that person Mm -hmm. that had like that just strikes me immediately as having like a very interesting kind of significance that goes a long way towards explaining like what's significant of a point and also connecting up with potentially like some really natural stories about like what the point of point is. Whereas I don't find it as immediately obvious that like get, things like getting angry have that kind of weight because, you know, we all kind of know about those moments where we get really pissed off at somebody and it's like, it's not that big of a deal. Um, yeah. You know, like nothing has really... Changed uh, about your interpersonal relations. Um, so again, this also comes back to the squishiness of blame, right? Because like, there's an obvious sense in which, like, when you're getting like really mad at your friend because you think they wronged you, like, that's that's blame. Um, but to kind of go to your like the heart of your question, um, I do think that when it comes down to this idea of like modifying intentions in response to a judgment that someone has like impaired your relations mm. and those intentions are like partially constitutive of that relationship i do think that has the requisite kind of uh weight to do the job that we want an account of epistemic plan to do um yeah
0: yeah yeah it's interesting cuz uh, i mean again like almost everything that we've been talking about i i it's it's easy for me to see it on both sides um i want i i you know i was just this idea was sort of motivated by like just you know thinking about like these experiences that i've had in the past and it's you know i wonder uh i wonder if if part part of like how we're thinking about it is well you know because it seems right what you're saying that we don't always modify it, you know in this like angry way or there's not even always that like that you know i think wolf calls it like angry blame dimension of yeah. of um what we're doing there but i'm genuinely trying to think about you know i don't know that i have ever cuz cuz i definitely have modified the epistemic dimension of many relationships and and it's obvious to me also that i've i haven't always done that on this like angry dimension but i'm wondering if when it wasn't that it was always some other negative affect, you know, maybe it was disappointment. Uh, maybe it was, um, you know, d- disappointment would probably be one of the better alternatives to anger, but, um, you know, it was just a kind of like loss of loss of trust in someone. But I just, I I wonder, I I'm skeptical that it can, you can genuinely modify a relationship without that emotive aspect to it. Um, yeah but but again it's not you know it's 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 a minor point sort of within liking the view as a whole
1: yeah and i i think it's i don't know if i have anything that is going to be like super convincing about, about this yeah. um but i do kind of again like it's sort of what attracted me to to thinking about in this way um you know regardless of whether i think like it's very hard to to defend a scanlonian view like um In the moral case, like not hard, but like a lot of people are, it's it's like a controversial view. Like, obviously, all views are fairly controversial, but like it seems to me when I'm talking to people, most people are basically what would get called Strassonians. Like, they just Mm -hmm. think blame, like the interesting kind of blame is like some, it's like resentment, indignation, like these kinds of negative emotional Mm -hmm. responses. Um, And a lot of people like just find that the Scanlonian blame, like, it's too insipid or, it's just not real blame or Mm -hmm. an interesting kind of blame but that's sort of exactly what i think is useful about it for the epistemic case it's because um even if it's true that we sometimes genuinely like get angry with each other for our epistemic feelings from the epistemic point of view that's far less of a distinctive and like characteristic feature of i think our epistemic practices Mm -hmm. and so um an account or a way of thinking about the significance of blame that doesn't rely on on those types of emotional responses um, is is exactly what I find attractive. But I, I totally see where you're coming. You know, this this whole discussion just sort of divides the room. I find you know, this <laughs> half room is perfectly happy to kind of jump up and down and get really angry with each other for their epistemic failings, um, and the other yeah. half isn't.
0: Yeah. 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 It may just, it, I mean, it may come full circle to there not being sort of a distinctive thing that, epi- that blame in general, let alone epistemic blame is picking out. And it just, yeah, it just, it just might make a lot of sense to talk about these things sort of on their own terms or like, you know, on their own merits. Um, yeah. So, okay. So, uh, in the, um, little bit of time we have left, I was actually wondering if I could get your reactions to like some things that I was thinking about in this, uh, in response to to your papers and some of Brown's specifically. Um, so one one thing that jumped out, um, so I read Brown's papers first, and then yours actually. And uh, this this idea or this sort of concern um, uh, was really born of a lot of Br- Brown's examples. Um, and the interesting thing is that it seemed like uh, some of the things that you were using kind of um, didn't sit on the fence, but they were partaking in both sides. So I just w- I want to hear your thoughts about this. Um, okay. So it seems like, you know, there's, there's this question of sort of the target of blame. And what I mean by that is sort of like, you know, what we, what we point at and say, like, we're blaming someone for, right. So like in the moral domain, you say like, you know, I'm blaming you for, um, you know, purposefully stepping on my foot or whatever. Right. So it's sort of that in which you, in virtue of which you blame for. So, so Brown has these examples where she's trying to motivate the concept of like epistemic blameworthiness. And she talks about, you know, us epistemically blaming people for their beliefs. Uh, so she has this example of sort of, you know, uh mod who believes a proposition on just like ridiculous grounds uh, and we're supposed to find her blameworthy. And there's the same thing where, you know, we're supposed to find it blameworthy that Trevor uh, does not kind of assent to this proposition for which there's overwhelming evidence. Right. And so um, it seems like, it, you know, she's really sort of assuming that the uh, appropriate target of our epistemic blame there is belief. Um, whereas now this was interesting to me in reading um the significance of epistemic blame from you. Um uh so on 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 there's one page where you talk about this example, uh, and the example is pulled from Lindsay Rettler. Um, where there's a uh, a professor of philosophy who is sort of indignant at the unreasonable beliefs of her incoming freshman in the fall, right? I think it was a funny example of like, you know, one of her students um, thinks that his chances of meeting a celebrity are high just because he's never met one until now, right? It's ridiculous. Um, and so she's sort of, you know, incredulous or indignant at the fact that he believes that. And so that's an example where, again, it seems like the target of – of um, epistemic blame is aimed at a belief. Uh, But earlier in the paper, you talk about um, these sort of, uh, you know, you say epistemologists typically use cases of dogmatism, wishful thinking, hasty reasoning, and certain kinds of biased cognitions as examples of epistemic failings for which people can be appropriate targets of epistemic blame. And so the long-winded question that I'm trying to get at is – it, I, so uh, what I'm thinking about, sort of writing on in, in my paper, is is arguing that the appropriate target of our epistemic blame should not be directed at beliefs, but rather it's these things that you talked about, these sort of like epistemic uh, virtues or vices um, that people have. Uh, and so I'm wondering if you if you find that at all sort of initially compelling or plausible. Um, and when you were writing about it, was that was that like a a question that you consciously were thinking about, or did you kind of um, slip into naturally thinking about blame for one of those things?
1: Yeah. I think that's a really interesting question. I, I find it really plausible that um, we don't blame, epistemically blame people just for having a certain belief. I think um, it matters like how they arrived at the belief. Um, yeah right and i mean even you know a- almost anybody working on just like the nature of epistemic justification will agree that like ideology matters in some way like just think of the basing problem or something like, like it matters how we get to our beliefs not just for whether they're blameworthy but also even for whether they're justified um and so i think you know. I think you mentioned of your emails, like thinking of this in terms of character, whether really mm-hmm. it's the the person's character that we're, is kind of the target of blame is a really interesting starting point for like thinking about this much more. I think you're right. Like I don't spend a huge amount of time talking about this um, just because I am trying to be as neutral as possible about like what what the appropriate like targets of a specific blame are in the service of just focusing on like the nature of the practice. But Yeah, I mean, you know, in terms, if we want to think about this in in the framework of the relationship-based view, um, I think a really natural thing for me to say is nobody, like, falls short of the normative ideal of the epistemic relationship just by having a belief of Mm. whether it's true or false, Um, because we don't, like, again, the epistemic relationship is just constituted by certain expectations and intentions we have that are like directed towards our epistemic agency. And so, you know, having one belief or another just says nothing about whether you're living up to the, the relevant expectations. Um, yeah. You know, the way I'm framing it in the book is, in, you know, the, the kind that the content of the expectations is something like, this is a little bit technical, but like, you know, for any intellectual act that you perform, You'll live up to certain epistemic standards, whatever they are. Um, And so, you know, that is going to involve us, that might involve a story about character, uh, about being, you know, intellectually responsible, for example. You can kind of fill in the blank for the epistemic standard. Um, But I, yeah, I just find it very implausible that, like, just by having a belief, uh, however wildly implausible, um, I don't think that can really be an appropriate target for blame.
0: Yeah. And and uh, like part of what motivated the thought was, um, you know, we, I, I feel like we do this mistakenly quite often where we, uh, we do sort of assume that, you know, for instance, like, like one belief is such a reliable heuristic that you can sort of like, you know, discount someone based on their believing that alone, right? You know, a really good example is, you know, like in the context of US politics, right? Like if someone voted for Trump, there's a there's a reaction to sort of like take that and to that alone, um, you know, is all the information you need to know about like that person's epistemic trustworthiness, right? Um, but it seems to me like there, you know, there can be those like interesting moments and I, I haven't had this, but I'm just imagining, you know, you hear someone voted for Trump, you have that initial sort of unjustified reaction of like, this is all I need to know. And, and you're assuming like a lot of things in that, but then, you know, maybe you find out that they're, actually you know like very very progressive but they're an accelerationist you know they think that things have to actually like get worse before they get better and like it strikes me that learning that about someone uh tells you actually like a lot more about their epistemic character than the like propositional content of their belief like who they should have voted for right so that's part of like what the you know kind of like concern is um uh around um you know again it's it's more in in uh, brown than you're writing but sort of the appropriateness of of targeting epistemic blame for beliefs um uh they they really do seem to be i mean the other concern that i had is that beliefs seem to be very up to kind of re- what's referred to in the moral domain as like resultant luck um you know kind of like luck in how things turn out you know it seems like people are very susceptible or maybe even like byproducts of like their epistemic circumstances in some sense. Um, you know, so like, you know, I, I uh, you know, will will change like a view that I have about a position based on the order of papers that I read, for instance, right? You know, so I told you I read like Brown's, Brown's paper um, defending kind of the sure uh, account of epistemic blame and I was drawn to that. And then I read your account and that, you know, so my view shifts and it seems like, you know, if you just changed the accident of, you know, what if I had never read your paper in the seminar, I might actually be subscribing to like this different belief. So it seems like um, the the propositional content of our our beliefs is very much up to luck in a way that our epistemic character is is more immune to. I don't know that I want to say like completely immune to, but... But I think it makes sense to sort of blame people in light of, um, you know, their their epistemic virtue or vice as opposed to that. Um, So, yeah, that's that's just, you know, by way of saying, like, I think that your papers like really motivate the interesting part of that question, because I think that question is like really, really central to our epistemic relationships in a way that it might not be to, you know, just this belief, desire, pair or like these reactive attitudes, for instance.
1: Cool. Yeah, I well, I'm glad to hear that. I, I think um, you know one of the issues that's connected with with this whole topic uh, is you know it's kind of the it's got a very strong political dimension, um, which is just like yeah why how do people end up kind of believing the things they do and mm. uh, how do we sort through or like what what exactly um, is going on in any individual case that you know makes it makes the person culpable or not it's i think it's really easy to spot when someone's violating an epistemic norm um but it's it's often a lot harder to to determine like whether they're actually culpable for that or not which you know that it looks by looking at a little bit of your previous podcasts um it sounds like you've been long interested in just that that really deep issue of like how can we be responsible uh, Mm. for anything um which i've tried to kind of avoid getting into that uh reasonably so (laughs) um just because you know i'm kind of more interested in just like the conceptual and and you know connections between the uh, the normative domains um but you know i think that that question like it looms large for for our epistemic blaming practices just as much as our moral practices
0: yeah no it's it's a really cool uh, area of overlap between, you know, responsibility and, um, and epistemology and ethics. So yeah, it's, it's, I, I really think that, yeah, no, no skepticism from me about whether or not this is an interesting question to explore. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess, uh, you know, we're, cu- we're coming up on an hour here. So, um, uh, I mean, first of all, thank you so much for the, for the, you know, time. I really enjoy the conversation. Um, and I will post, uh, links to the three papers uh three recent papers of yours that i've been referencing but um if people want to kind of like learn more about like you and your work uh where should they go to find that
1: uh i guess the easiest place is just i have a, a website which mm-hmm. um
0: i can link that as well
1: yeah yeah i'll get okay give, yeah.
0: it's the weebly one yes yeah okay i yeah i have the link for that yeah okay cool yeah, you know
1: uh, i it's it, Mentions the book and uh, there's a synopsis of the book on there, and that's sort of um, what I like to think of as kind of the the culmination of of what I've been thinking about on this topic. And I, I'm more than happy to to send out drafts to if people uh, want to have a look.
0: Yeah, Not, yeah. Because I'm still
1: in the in the market for for feedback on it. So,
0: yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, the book sounds awesome. Uh, if you're Uh, if your work that I've read is any indication it should be great Um, so yeah we're looking forward to it great alright stay on the line if you would for a second but um, yeah once again thank you so much for doing this and uh, for people listening Uh, I hope that you enjoyed our conversation and uh, hopefully you will tune in next time
1: thanks so much it's been really fun